Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. Good morning. Oh, Mori Mori, as we say in Ghana. Morning. <laughs> thank you, worship team. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. We thank you. We thank you that we can gather at your feet. That we can come to hear from the one who loves us. And spend quality time with you. Lord, we pray that you meet each and every one of us at, a, at our point of need. May you speak to each of us in a language we can appreciate and understand. And may you transform us by your truth until we are more like you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's November, but it's not over. Amen. You guys are amazing students. It's November, but it's not over. It's not over. Amen. So, I love Christmas. Sometimes you can catch me playing Christmas carols in June, July. It doesn't matter. If I feel like it, I play Christmas carols. Nobody can arrest me. You know, and so today's sermon will hint a bit on Christmas. Amen. But as you know, we've been praying every morning from 5 to 6 a.m. It's That's early for many people, especially me, because I tend to be a night owl. Uh, I, but I'm learning to sleep early so I can wake up by 4, get ready. Amen. And it's beautiful, and we, have, we are hearing testimonies. But not all our prayers have been answered the way we wish that they would be. Last week, we had tragic tragic news. We lost somebody we had been praying for. You know, it's not the first time we've lost somebody I was praying for. You know, so sometimes it doesn't go as I wish. You know, but Jesus is still Lord. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to talk about one gallon Christianity. <laughs> one gallon Christianity. So in Ghana, if you live in Ghana, there is a practice among drivers, especially commercial drivers, we call one gallon. You know, they, they buy just enough fuel to hopefully get you to your destination. And if they, mis they miscalculate, you get stuck on the road. <laughs> they never have enough fuel. And so when you're short... You run out of fuel on the road, and somebody sees you, what they say, it's one gallon. <laughs> and many times you see them with a little can, you know, running to the nearest filling station. Sometimes passengers pushing the trotro, the commercial vehicle, to that filling station. And the driver gets there, and you think he'll fill his tank. No, he'll buy another one gallon. Unfortunately, sometimes we practice Christianity like that. We should understand that Christianity came as an answer to many questions. Questions, 
right from the foundations of the earth. Questions humans have asked themselves throughout millennia. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there life after death? Is there another realm beyond this one? What happens to me when I die? Christianity is supposed to be the answer to critical life questions. Very, very important life questions. And so, you discover from scripture that the birth of Christianity, this faith, the birth of it, was never something that was treated lightly at all. In fact, in Jesus' words, uh, in Matthew, Matthew, let's start from there. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, chapter 25. From 24 through 25, Jesus talks a lot about the end times. Theologians like to call these the eschatological teachings of Jesus. It's a big word. It makes them feel like they've learned something. <laughs> so, the eschatological teachings of Jesus. And in chapter 25, he, he tells a parable. Jesus loved telling parables, stories. People love stories. So he says from verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside, calling, Lord, 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 open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too, verse 13 is the anchor verse of this scripture. It says, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Amen. So there are a few things we need to establish. All ten of these bridesmaids fell asleep. Okay. So it's not as if some were more vigilant than others. They all fell asleep. All ten of them fell asleep. Now, the other thing we need to establish from this story is that there wasn't a scarcity of oil. Listen, if you can get oil to buy at 12 midnight, <laughs> it is not a scarce commodity. You know, it's like trying to buy fuel at 12 midnight in Accra. It is possible. Just drive to a circle. <laughs> there are a few filling stations that are open that work 24 hours nonstop. There wasn't a scarcity of oil. So why does the groom call these five foolish? 
the last time in one of our morning devotions, I explained the biblical, when, when, in, when in Bible language, we use the word foolish is used. It doesn't mean a lack of intelligence. So when the Bible, for example, says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, it doesn't mean the person is nitwitted, the person is not smart. That's not what it means. It means that the person ignores the evidence before them, especially or most of the time for their own ulterior motive. So the Bible is very clear that creation itself, if you're somebody who is curious, like, think about it. How does a big bang, a big bang just happen? Now, how often do you throw just anything and a radio set comes out of it? And you look at what it takes. You, you speak to any doctor. What it takes for a human being to function. You know, like, they are still discovering all the parts of the human brain. And that's just the human brain. Elephants, we haven't talked about elephants. Or termites, how they are able to create these amazing cities in the ground. Colonies. You know, it's like how wise termites are. And how they create this anthill, which serves as, the, serves as the air conditioning for their kingdom under the ground. Like, how can that be a bang? So, the biblical position is that when somebody says there is no God, or I don't believe there is God, it is actually not because they are sure there is no God, but that they will prefer that there is no God. That it works for them if there isn't God, because if there isn't God, then there isn't accountability. Then if there isn't hell. Then Jesus is not the only way, the truth and the life. It takes responsibility of me if there is no God. And so the Bible uses the word foolish, not because the person isn't smart, but the person thinks he's smarter than God. That's the challenge. And unfortunately, we who are the church, we who are supposed to be ambassadors of Christ on earth, are heavily distracted. And we take things for granted. These five bridesmaids underestimated how long it would take for the groom to arrive. And the Bible calls them foolish because in the culture, just like in Ghanaian culture, when somebody says, I'll be there at two, two o'clock is a suggestion. <laughs> it means they could be there at two, two thirty, three, four, and if they are the president of Ghana, maybe 7 p.m. It's a suggestion. Jewish culture wasn't very different. Listen, around that time, this fancy clock we use. These watches were not invented. So we say afternoon. Anything that happens after the sun is either is afternoon. Morning is when you wake up. Whatever time you wake up, it's morning. It's good morning. And then if the sun is up, there is afternoon. This obsession with the clock and time is a very, very modern <laughs> culture. 
You know? So if you have an appointment with a very, very important person in Nigeria or Ghana, and they tell you be there at two, and we'll have lunch together at three, and you skip breakfast, you are foolish. Because you'll be there waiting, and you can't get up and go because he might show up just when you go and grab something. So you are stuck sitting and waiting, and he isn't showing up, and the secretary says, Oh, he's coming. Oh, he's coming. Oh, he's coming. Oh, he's coming. And next thing you know, it's 10 p.m. And you skip breakfast because, you know, you've been doing this fasting, intermittent fasting thing. So by the time the person shows up at 2, it will be perfect time for your first meal of the day. <laughs> uh-uh. See, that's not smart enough. So what is this lesson really teaching us? It says that we are not the determinants of when God shows up. No matter how spiritual we are. The bridegroom showed up when he showed up. Amen. It's good to pray and believe God for miracles. It's amazing when we experience instant miracles and instant blessings. When God shows up in the time frame we set. That's beautiful. But if he's truly Lord, he shows up when he shows up. That's why you can't afford to do one gallon Christianity. Hey, Charlie, we need some breakthrough. Let's do some quick three-day fasting and prayer. No. He's called you to a life of dedication to him. It's a lifetime calling. Not just when we are in trouble. Just, not just when things are not balancing. This faith is not a one-gallon faith. Amen. There's a beautiful story, and this is where we get to the Christmas part of my story. There's a beautiful story in the book of Luke, chapter 2, that I think is a perfect demonstration of how we wait. Amen. How we watch vigilantly. Luke, chapter 2, is a very, very long chapter. We're not going to read it all. Luke chapter 2, from verse 25. So in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. The virgin has conceived, carried to full time, delivered. And now they go and dedicate the baby to the Lord, as was the custom. On the eighth day, you circumcise the male child. And the law was that every male child must be dedicated to the Lord. So... The parents of this male child, Jesus, were honoring that. So they get to the temple in Jerusalem, and this is what happens from verse 25. The prophecy of Simeon. At that time, at the time Jesus was born, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there 
he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Amen. Now, it's important to know that when you read this account that tells you that this man, Simeon, his name kind of suggests what tribe he may have come from. But that's the only thing. And even that, we might be wrong about. That he descended from the tribe of Simeon. We might be wrong about that. But this is his name. And at the time, in church history, we call it the 400 years of silence. So between Malachi and Matthew, between the, the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have 400 years where as a nation, Israel didn't hear the voice of God. And the Bible is telling us that in those years of silence, towards those year, the end of those years of silence, there was a man called Simeon and the spirit of God was upon him. This is no ordinary man. This was before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This was before John the Baptist was born. This was before Jesus was born. This was before Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. This was in a season of silence. It's God's way of telling us he actually never abandoned his people. Amen. God never abandons his people. Even in the seasons that he appears to be silent, actually, he's still at work. Amen. And so this man has been waiting. And imagine a nation where nobody has heard from God for over 300 and something years. And then you tell people, God says, I will not die until I see the Messiah. The Messiah who was prophesied about from Genesis, right from the garden, that 400 years before Isaiah had also prophesied about. Like every prophet comes and prophesies about this guy and this guy never shows up. And then one day you stand up and you say, oh, God has told me that I will not die until I see the Messiah. It's not very different from if somebody showed up today and said, oh, you know, God has told me that I will not die until I see the second coming of Christ. It's not very different. It's the same kind of picture. It's about the coming of the Messiah. We are in a dispensation where we are believing God for the second coming of the Messiah. And he said, I'll be back soon. And it's been 2,000 years. So imagine if somebody was to stand up today in this church and say, guys, you know what? Last night, the Spirit of God Give me this revelation. He said, me, Kojo, I will not die until I see the second coming of Christ. <laughs> You're like, praise the Lord, brother. What did you smoke last night? <laughs> what did you have for dinner? He says, the hour and the time nobody knows. It was true then and it is true now. Simeon didn't know the specific hour and the time. All he knew was that God was faithful. Amen. So the Bible uses a certain kind of language for this man. It says he was devout and he was eagerly awaiting. Amen. Those two words together, very important. He was eagerly awaiting. He was excited. 
if anybody loves dogs, you know that to train a dog to sit is easy. But to train a dog to wait, <laughs> eagerly wait, just sit and wait and not move. And you go and do everything you want and it will be there. That's a lot of work. Simeon lived his whole life eagerly awaiting. And so when he sees the baby Jesus, the first words he says is the sovereign Lord. Now let your servant die in peace. He sounds as if all his friends have died and gone. <laughs> he was tired. That's the irony of life, isn't it? When we are young, we pray to live. Live. And God blesses us with long life. And then we get to a point where all our friends are gone. Everything we remember is history. And now we start praying to die. <laughs> Simeon was praying to die. But he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one at all. Verse 36 says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. So we even know more about this woman than we know about Simeon. That she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. So there's also this woman giving us an example of the right way to wait. And she had this thing where when anybody brought up the topic of, oh, when is the Messiah coming to rescue Israel? Then she would tell them about what God had told her. Amen. I, reading this account, was a little curious about Anna. So in this culture, you married, typically you married as a girl the moment you hit puberty. So most of them got married around 14, 15, 16 years. And then seven years after being married, she becomes a widow. And she decides not to marry again. And I'm wondering, what kind of man did she marry? That made her decide that uh -uh, marriage, me and marriage, not anymore. Or, or maybe that wasn't the scenario. Maybe it was just that God so mightily had anointed her that even though she had had a great marriage. But listen, there are some people, even in church, there are some people, if you marry them, at some point you wish you were a widow. So the men who don't treat your wives right, sometimes when they are praying, they are praying you should die. So treat them right. As for men, we never pray that kind of prayer. <laughs> men, we always pray good health, long life for our wives. Maybe God make them a little patient. Yeah, beyond patient, nothing else. You know. Oh God, get off my back. <laughs> so she chose to live as a widow, consistently fasting and praying. Amen. How do we not get distracted? How do we wait for that which God has promised us? You need oil. Amen. 
The oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He makes all the difference. We all sleep. Whether we are wise or foolish, we get tired, we sleep. But you have enough oil when the time comes. Are you connected to your source? What is the quality of your relationship with God? That is what makes the difference. The quality of the relationship with God. Today, as, as the body of Christ, we obsess over, you know, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, Jesus says it very clearly. He says, listen, why are you worried about what you'll eat, what you wear, where you'll stay, where you work, about life, about money, about bank balance, about promotion? Why do you worry about these things? Why? Why do you stress over these things? He says, look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, but they eat. Your heavenly father takes care of them. There's, look at the lilies in the valley. They are beautiful. In Ghana, when they say flowers are beautiful, you can't appreciate it. <laughs> because we don't have a culture of it. You know, in some countries, you go at a certain season. Like, wow. Fields of flowers. Fields. Unending. Beautiful. Say, look at them. Your heavenly father takes care of them. These flowers are here today, tomorrow they are gone. And see how radiant they look. The same way God cares about you. Why are you stressing over these things? If anything, seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Seek first. Make God be your priority. Make a life where you walk with God be your priority. A life truly dedicated to him. Let that be your priority. In fact, let me read a text so that we get it. So it's a long text, but I think I need to read it in full so that we get a context of it. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 19 to 33. It says, don't store up treasure here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. No one can serve two masters. Listen, Christian, listen. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Yes, money. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the bears. They don't plant or harvest or store fruits in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? 
What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Amen. 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 It doesn't get clearer than that, does it? We need to prioritize again. There's a lot we are obsessed with. I mean, targets we wanted to meet in 2023. And we spend a lot of time worrying about these targets we can't seem to meet. In fact, because of those, many are frustrated. Some are even losing their faith. Some are going to places Christians shouldn't go to. Getting into deals Christians have no business getting into. Why? Why are we chasing that which is supposed to chase us? Material wealth, well-being, money. These things are supposed to be our servants as we focus on our only master, Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. This morning, I want you to look at your life. One time, the hand of God wrote on a wall and he said, you have been weighed upon a scale and you've been found wanting. Many, many tekel el pasen. You have been weighed upon a scale and you've been found wanting. If you look at your life, material, worldly needs, ambition, aspirations, all of that on one side, and God, just a desire to work with God on the other side, how will your scale balance? Will it tilt towards the world and its problems and its needs and its opportunities? Or will it tilt towards God? If there is imbalance, it means you are short on fuel. Your oil is low. The priorities are wrong. And it occasions repentance. It means you have to ask this Lord to be your Lord again. You have to dedicate your life to the one who loves you and cares about you. The one who truly, truly cares about you. The one who says he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And before you were born, he had a purpose and a plan for your life. Dedicate your life to him. Say, Lord, help me prioritize. Help me place value on that which matters. Help me stop worrying about that which has no eternal value. Help me place my treasures in the right place. My desires in the right place. My hopes in the right place. Help me, Lord. Help me find balance. Help me. Help me find balance. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accra.org. God bless you.